1: So 50 of Running Matters. My name's Matt North. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Hagfield. How you going, mate?
0: Yeah, mate. I'm good. I'm good. Nice long run on uh, Sublime Point
1: stairs this morning. I didn't see you out there, mate. No, too early for me, mate. But I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you got out there and, and did a bit. That's, that's, a little bit of vert. That's very that's nice. It's happening. Yeah, stairs. Did you get out for a run yourself? I did, mate. I got out with Cousin Benny. And you're New, uh, newly engaged. Cousin Benny, congratulations, yep. Ben and yep. Eloise. Yep. Very exciting. Well done yeah. guys, yeah.
0: you didn't listen to us for
1: the last four years Benny, <laughs> that's right, <laughs> our special guest today is Jenna Louise Selkhead, thank you very much for your time today,
2: thank you very much, uh,
1: before we get into it I'd like to thank our partners Renala, Sydney Brewery, Goo Energy, Guy Mir Allied Health and Fractal Running Caps and I'd also like to thank Jimmy Carroll for doing the editing behind the scenes, I should speak to Jimmy about doing the video yeah definitely, he's a guy this is our first videoed uh, podcast. This is our video that we're not doing, that, that Jen is doing. Yeah, it's
2: very makeshift. <laughs>
1: yep.
2: It's on a couple of textbooks right now, my phone, but uh, we'll see how it goes.
0: This is good. This it's is not good. pointing at me or Wolf, thankfully. No, yeah. I'm not sure where it's pointing We didn't <laughs> do our makeup at yeah. all. That's right. <laughs> That's right.
1: Uh, so we, in, in news, in recent news, we had a catch-up at, at, at our partners, Sydney Brewery uh it was a good get together we had 20 or so people turn up and yeah we thanks had a, for sitting in brewery that had, was great yeah we had a few drinks and speaking of drinks i might um have one of the Pado pale ales now it's a good way to start it's a, it is a good way to start is this your first beer for the day Wolf, or no mm. <laughs> no cheers cheers and i believe you guys got asked to leave yeah, look, they they couldn't
0: handle our uh, our dancing. Yep. Unfortunately, yeah, we were the only people in the pub dancing. Okay, so w- whatever they put in the pato pale ale worked, you yep. know.
1: Yeah, You had a great good night. All right, that's good. <laughs> it was time to go. That's good. Relationship building, good networking event. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Renala, save the date. Saturday the 14th of December we're going to do a run beer and pizza night or afternoon down there so Fantastic. you free Jenny you going to come down I
2: can come down yeah absolutely you're in Cronulla I'm in Cronulla
1: yep yeah you have to come down and you know Sean and Jenny
2: yes love Sean and Jenny Jenny, they have been absolutely amazing to me in my running journey very generous yeah. um yeah from what I can see they're massive support for the community
3: yeah no they're great people great humans absolutely
2: great human beings
0: we, we should mentioned that uh so after the the run, the beer and the pizza, Sean and Jenny will be offering twenty percent off to everyone wearing a Running Matters podcast t-shirt. 20% 20%. T shirt. Twenty percent off? Twenty percent. A whole store. That's so big. very generous humans. So get on down for a run, pizza buy a shirt. Save the date, Saturday the
1: fourteenth of December. Great. Very there. And he's ordered stubby holders. That's the highlight of my week. <laughs> <laughs> so, Janet, tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Where should I start? Well, you like let's, to know? Let's
1: tell us where you grew up, mm-hmm. where you went to school, mm-hmm. and then what you did when you left school.
2: Right. So, I grew up in a little coastal town called Byron Bay on the most easterly point of Australia.
0: The lighthouse.
2: Uh, yes, the White House. Mm. It's a good run. Mm. I actually haven't done it in quite some years. I've been meaning to. Um, I grew up there doing surf life saving um, for about 11 years, up until I was about 16, I was quite competitive, Mm -hmm. Um, so it was sort of a a fantastic way to grow up on the beach, sort of training every day, which was really amazing. Um, I went to school at a little school called Teven Tittenbar, probably no one will know it, (laughs) and then a high school called St. John's College Woodlawn, Um, and then when I was 20 years old, I moved to Sydney. So from there, I uh, went to university, I studied law and politics and international relations. Which is exactly
0: what we want to talk to you about today.
2: It's perfect. I'm I'm happy there's sarcasm in that because I feel the same. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, it was a a long five years. Um, Definitely proud that I was able to commit to something so long-term, just unfortunately probably wasn't the right thing.
1: (laughs) You work it out, don't you? You work it out, you do.
2: Um, So, yeah, very grateful to to have that experience, but also very grateful to move forward from that.
1: All right, so you finish university. Take us from then.
2: So basically, during university, I didn't think too much about finishing university and when I came to the end of my degree it was quite a surprise that I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do and so I began doing paralegal work um for a couple of different firms and sort of started job hopping a little bit sort of telling myself it was the environment I didn't like sort of you know that environment I'll go work somewhere else and sort of very quickly came to realize that I just didn't like law in general and that was sort of a hard um thing to sort of realise, I guess, because I'd spent so much time studying it. And and granted, throughout the study you kind of lose your way a little bit, particularly mm. studying law, you sort of I started thinking that I might do some form of like humanitarian law and it sort of then went into you sort of surrounded by people that want to make a lot of money and especially small town girl moving to Sydney. I sort mm. of my um dreams changed and then very quickly realized that they were the wrong dreams. Um, So then I started doing a bit of temp work. I did a lot of traveling. Um, Sort of I found myself doing a lot of administration work, just temporary, and I would find myself basically working to save to travel. So Mm. I started getting into that cycle of working for six months and then traveling for a few months, working for six months, traveling for a few months, Mm. and did that for quite some time. Um, And then I ended up uh, being offered a job, uh, working for a CEO in Sydney, um, as his executive assistant. And it was a really, really good job to be offered. Um, sort of was told that it would set me up for life. And very quickly throughout that experience, um, I became, I got anxiety, I got depression, Um, And I got very confused. I was in a relationship at the time. And from the outside, um, a lot of people were telling me that I had um, sort of everything set up. It was just such an amazing life. And I had to reflect during that period because I thought at the time, you know, what's wrong with me? Why am I being um, so ungrateful for all these amazing opportunities? And, um, yeah, basically um, through that experience, I quit my job um, broke up with my boyfriend, did all of that, moved out because I was uh, living with him and went overseas and had to kind of reflect on why I'd felt those emotions and why I wasn't happy in a life that I built um, that everyone was telling me was so fantastic. And so I had to sort of realize that I'd been listening to other people too much and not enough to myself. And since then, that was probably around me being about 26. I'm 30, nearly 31 now. Um, Throughout the years, sort of trying to find my place in all of that, I suppose. So it's been an amazing journey and lots happened since then. Um, But yeah, definitely lived quite a full life.
1: Yeah, well... I'm, I'm feeling um, pretty insecure here because uh, <laughs> because of your job hopping as well Wolf, yeah, just, just the fact that you were employed for a long time that's, that's <laughs> but uh 2016 was was it was a big year for you yes. you you, um, you lived in Kenya for three months yes um, you were volunteering with the the Maso women's group do you yes. want you to tell us a bit about that
2: yeah so basically throughout this sort of I guess discovery process um since I was sort of young probably my mid-teens I'd had this really natural yearning to go to Africa and to the point where it sometimes keep me up at night and I just I didn't really understand where it came from but it was just there so specifically when I was, Africa though? specifically Africa which was okay. really fascinating hmm. um and I used to read you know, books around people going there and, and, you know, volunteering or providing help in some way. And my first trip when I was 18 and had the opportunity to go travel on my own was to Kenya. And since then I've travelled four times. And um, I just, there's so much that I got out of it. I think contribution is a massive thing, I think, for anyone. I think it's almost to a point a bit of a selfish thing and I think if I'm um, to be really real with myself being there and and feeling like I'm making a difference actually really helped me in my life in those times as well and I'd always find myself there in in times that I was really uncomfortable with my life in Australia I would always go there and it would always alleviate some form of stress for me mm. um and I'd always feel really happy I'd always I always felt like a different person when I was there um so I guess my experience working with Messiah women um, was, was obviously I was there because I did genuinely feel like I was making a difference um, working with the women's groups. Um, but to be very honest, I, I was also there for myself and I got just as much, if not more, out of being there. Um, just basically being around people that don't have much and they're certainly – the happiest people that I've come across. If, if they have all their necessities, they really are. And they're a lot happier than the people that I know back here in Sydney and Melbourne. And, um, you know, most people that I know back here are very unfulfilled and they're very unhappy. And
1: even though they've got everything,
2: even though they've got everything. And I think that's the problem Mm. is that it's just, they're just continually chasing, having things not completely aware as to what they're actually after. Mm. um, And I think stripping it all back somewhere like Kenya, um, you know, they spend a lot of time together in their family groups, looking after each other. It's a very community sort of thing. Um, It's not about who's got the newest this or the best this. Um, It really is about just uh, the basics and and just being honest and happy with each other and working together. And I think it's really beautiful and quite inspirational. And I definitely try and take a lot of the lessons that I learned over there back here because when I first started going to and from there I found myself coming back and, and straight away becoming this different person um, that was a lot more unsatisfied with things hmm. uh, so it's yeah it's, it's hard it's very hard when you're you're in that environment as you know, particularly living in Sydney, someone like Sydney um, where you're just constantly surrounded by it and, and people that do care about it. Um, and I think it's tough, but I think it's a good thing to work on. Yeah. Cool.
1: And,
0: and so do you think immersing yourself in that, um, I guess, environment of giving and that community sort of awareness helps you with your own issues as far as anxiety and depression and what have you?
2: I do think so. I think, yeah, cause I think it makes you be really real with yourself. Um, and it, it it was quite confusing and confronting at the start because when I'd come back here, I'd fall in to the patterns again mm. of being unfulfilled. Um, but I think th- through my experience with anxiety and depression, and I think with a lot of people, it really strikes you. At, like if you, if you haven't grown up with it, it really strikes you and comes out of no nowhere and it's very hard to understand what's, going on it feels very much out of your control and i know when i was experiencing it i kind of thought that was just how it was going to feel forever Mm. and particularly because i was in a job that i you know uh, was would make me quite successful and financially stable and i was with a partner that people adored and it's fascinating to look back on it now and, and see that other people's idea of what they thought was really good for me wasn't and I think if they were to be really real with themselves it's not good for them either but Mm. for some reason because it's the standards that society holds for ourselves we feel like we should live up to them even though they don't fulfill us or make us happy yeah
0: it's a real conflict between your ideas and the societal sort of pressures There, it is
2: And, and I think that's one of the harder things for me now having to be really True to that is that you find yourself in the minority mm. and that's really hard to at least initially uh, accept and stay with.
0: Well, you're amongst unmaterialistic humans in this room. That's,
2: yeah.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Would you got a pair
0: of shoes though, Wolf.
1: What, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what's the minority? How are you in the minority?
2: I think, and, and I mean, this is just <clears> speaking <throat> through my life experience. I see myself in the minority as someone that, let me see, is not trying to impress people by the way that I live. And that's a very new thing for me.
0: Which is funny because I'm impressed by the way you live.
2: Well, I, so I think that's what I've honestly realized very recently mm. is that... Since I mean I'm still working on it, and I may always do be doing that. But since I've really tried accepting who I who I am and who I'd like to be, it's like people like me more. It's like people appreciate me more. It's like people want to be around me more. It's really fascinating. I think
0: people like something that's real rather than something that's fake when it comes down to it. So
2: they do, and that's what's so fascinating because. I mean, particularly with social media these days, mm. it's ninety nine percent of the people on Instagram are living these lives that are full of facades, mm. um, and it's it's incredible to see. And I think particularly you find this one on one with people if you if you're real with them, people are craving that that realness between people, that connection, that rawness. Mm. Um, but, but people are being afraid of being so vulnerable because people are so quick to judge these days.
0: Yeah. I oh, agree. So what was the charity program you're running with the Maso Warriors anyway? What was the program?
2: Yeah. So with the women's groups, um, basically it was it was sort of different a few times that I was there. Initially, the first time I was there, I was with a different organization. And long story short, I picked up a book there. Um that was written by a man that had an organisation there, a different organisation there. And I read it when I got uh, back to Australia. And a couple of years later, when I was sort of looking to go back to Kenya, I actually contacted the author and said, I really love this book. Can I come and see the projects mm-hmm. like face to face? And so I ended up going there and sort of meeting the author of this book that I'd read and, and sort of seeing... Uh, in reality, the stories that I'd read in this book, mm. and it was incredible for me, and, and it was a very small organization. I've always supported very small organizations, because I feel like most grassroots organizations, um, you get more bang for your buck, we're basically. Your buck, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was it was incredible. So, basically, mm. we're focusing on women's empowerment programs, sort of just empowering women in communities um, to sort of create small businesses. Um, some of it was trying sort of school programs. So just trying to keep children in school, keep children, um, satiated. So giving them feeding programs, um, it was sort of, because it was a small organization, it was sort of dependent on what was happening that year. And obviously I wasn't there all the time. Mm. Um, but from, yeah, from what I sort of experienced, I was more doing the needs assessment. So I'd go out to small, like rural communities um, out in the Rift Valley, and I would sit down and talk to the communities and the fascinating thing and something that does show uh, I guess in, in some parts of Africa the power of uh, being white unfortunately is that I would organize these meetings with communities for women's empowerment programs, and I would sit in a room with you know five, six, seven Masite men. Hmm. And there was one point where I was just like, you know, I can't – is enough, enough. So, um, yeah, so it was it was in, in interesting to see the influence that I had that I would be like, take me to the women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd get in the back of a truck and off we'd go and, we, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, it's just desert and you just see nothing and all of these women appear and children mm-hmm. and it's, it's really incredible. And, I mean, some of my fondest memories are from moments like that where we've actually – come together as a community, as men, as women together and Mm. spoken about things that potentially would not have come to the forefront of conversation if the organisation wasn't there.
0: Yeah, great. Fantastic. And and I was reading an article you wrote about one of these trips over to Kenya and uh, you you, you mentioned that you had a three-month sort of charity program organised and then that thing fell through. And, And so you ended up... In the foothills of the Himalayas, learning from an Indian spirit guide. <laughs> what, what, what's the go? What happened there? Yeah,
2: wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was post-survivor. Um, so that was a whole experience. experience we'll get to and a Survivor. Get Lots to of questions. Um, but I, I basically ended up breaking up with my partner at the time and just being like, all right, like enough's enough. I'm still so unsure of what, what am I meant to be doing on this earth with my time? Um, You know, I want to go back to Kenya and this is the place that makes me happy. This is the place that I feel like, uh, you know, I I belong um, for that period, you know, that moment in time. And when I got there, um, I did a bit of fundraising pre that and sort of asked the organization to sort of show me where the money had gone and they kept sort of putting it off and then it just sort of got to the point where I was getting a lot more pushier with it. Mm. And unfortunately, from what I can see, um, there was some corruption that was going on. And basically, within the first week of getting to Kenya, thinking that I would be there for at least three months, um, I yeah had to pull the plug. And I mean, it's Kenya's not really a place, particularly Nairobi, that you just hang around. Um, so I was like, you know what, I maybe... I guess it was an epiphany for me that you can't, it's not my time to look after other people when I really need to look after myself. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, you know what, I just need to take myself somewhere where I can sort of heal a little bit and reflect. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous now, but um, I ended up Googling um, India, India, I think something like the most spiritual place in India or something <laughs> <laughs> and literally when whatever's going to come up the most on the first page that's where I'm going yeah. Yeah. Um, that
0: could have gone so wrong it
2: could have <laughs> I was willing to take that risk I was just like put, you know yeah. all in and I mean that probably reflects a lot of my life
0: I've up in a gin distillery in India <laughs> yeah. like, I was
1: singing hashish <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking spirits yeah in <laughs>
2: Um, but it ended up being an incredible experience. Yeah, I went I went to India and, you know, it's just, there was a lot of coincidences that happened, serendipity, and I, yeah, ended up in the foothills of the Himalayas with a Swami spiritual teacher yeah. for a week. Um, I was actually there for a month, but through the people that I met in India, we ended up, I ended up gathering eight strangers, I think, together in India and said, let's go to Nepal and trek. And so yeah, we went to Nepal and trekked on the Annapurna Circuit, yeah. um, and then a few of us from there, well, myself and two others, ended up uh, staying a little bit longer and doing a another what was it called, the far trek or something, food trek. Only about a hundred people do it a year,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um, it was absolutely incredible. And so I was in Nepal for two months and returned back to Australia. And I mean, when you're on, when you're on a high like that, um, mm. coming back to Australia, you know, once again, I found myself going, all right, well, what now? And it just, it seemed to be this pattern that I was sort of repeating. Mm. Um, so yeah, I had to sort of stay, sit still for a couple of months and, and really decide what I wanted to do from there.
0: Before we move on there, can I just ask a logistical question? So you're wearing like, you know, let's say thongs and yoga pants talking to this swami under the foot of the Mm -hmm. Himalayas and then you'd go trekking for 35 days on the Annapurna Circuit, like in the same clothes or what happened? No, so
2: basically, you know, obviously I had planned to be in Kenya for three months. I left my suitcase in Kenya. I took just a seven kilo backpack to India with a few things and um just started gathering things and particularly when we got to (laughs) you know never make excuses (laughs) there's always ways about it and so logistically when I got to Nepal um you know I obviously I didn't know that I'd be trekking for two months Mm -hmm. so there's um, there's heaps of stores heaps of stuff in Kathmandu so yeah it was it was quite interesting. It was quite funny to see sort of me just starting to collect more I- more <laughs> items and, you know, I had to get like a big backpack and like sh- trekking shoes and poles and jackets. And,
0: oh, that's great. Yeah, so... Fly by the seat of my pants trekking. Yeah, ha- cool. and it was
2: amazing. It was amazing. Some of the, uh, you know, unplanned things are some of the better experiences, that's for sure. 100%. All
1: right. So, I've been... <clears throat> wanting to ask you about Survivor. Yes. So you're on Australian Survivor, which was filmed in Samoa for two months. Yes. How did that come about? How did you, how did you get an, an invite? How does it all work?
2: Yeah, so <laughs> my mum, I think, messaged me. She's like, oh, my God, she's a massive Survivor fan. And I, I watched it growing up, but I hadn't watched it in years. And she's like, oh, Survivor's coming to Australia. I'm going to apply. <laughs> and I was like... Well, stuff that I'm going to buy.
0: (laughs) So you push your mum out of it.
2: Push her out of the way. (laughs) And you know, it's it's quite an elaborate application, actually. Um, And you know, I don't know. I I filled it out. You fill out these things, not actually thinking you're going to get on. Like you know, you kind of just like that'd be
3: great. Paul did that
0: for Ninja Warrior,
3: right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And then yes. we don't like to talk about it. It
1: keeps coming up though.
3: Uh,
2: <laughs> we, he
1: made a video. Go on. Sorry.
2: Sorry. Yes. <laughs> and then, yeah, you have to make a three-minute three, three minute video of yourself and you submit that. But basically uh, for the first season, you they, they strictly say you're not going to hear from us for about two or three months, like mm. no one. And so I submitted it and just totally forgot about it. And at that point in time three months later, I was actually in South Africa uh, visiting a friend and I got this email saying, like, we've been trying to call you. Like, what's going on? Like, your phone's disconnected. Um, you know, we've got auditions coming up and we'd love to hear from you. And so I, I sort of messaged back. I'm like, well, I'm in South Africa. Like, I'm not in Australia. I can't come to these face-to-face auditions. And I was like, can I do a, a Skype, another Skype session or something? And they said, um, no, like, if you, if you really want to do this, you're going to have to come back for the face-to-face and at that point in time, most of my stuff was back in Kenya again. And <laughs>
0: do you own so... <laughs> a plane? Like, how did this happen?
2: Yeah, no, yeah, I know. It's, it's a lot of logistics. So, um, you know, I had, to, I yeah, had to ask myself a question: like, how much is this worth to you? And I just sort of thought, South Africa will always be here. Kenya will always be here. This opportunity won't. So, I ended up flying back to Kenya, getting my stuff, and flying back to Australia within a few days. And yeah, went to the auditions and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, went to a group audition on the first day and then I faced a one-on-one or one-on-four for the next day and yeah, ended up hearing a couple of weeks later.
1: Fantastic. Before we get into, there'll be lots of questions about this, so I've <laughs> got to listen a question. Okay. And it's about Survivor and it's from the florist, uh-huh. friend of the show. Okay. And he wants to know, are there portaloos? No. There's definitely no portaloos. Definitely no you Or no, no, digging lose. holes.
2: There's holes, yeah. Well, you, yeah, you're going pretty much wherever. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think.
0: Not where you eat, though. That's a big rule. You don't shoot where you eat. Right. That's a thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it depends how many grubs you've got in the group, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. I get this question a lot when it... I mean, I mean, granted, Survivor was a while ago for me, so I don't get them so much anymore. But people always ask, like, is Survivor really as hard hmm. as, as it looks? Like, you know, obvious, you know, do you get showers? Do you get extra food and yeah. stuff off camera? Is there a
1: buffet behind that?
2: Right, yeah, yeah. And do you get your bed at night at, yeah. the, at the hotel? And <laughs> absolutely not. I remember the first week we didn't have fire and... Essentially, we basically didn't eat for about five days. Like, we had a couple of little bananas. I think we had two tiny bananas each day that we would won a thing at the start. And we were just starving. And I remember one of the guys um, sort of just kind of lost his shit, I guess, and said, like, you know, we're starving out here. Like, something needs to happen. Um, And one of the producers sort of turned around and said, like, welcome to Survivor. What
0: did you expect? Right.
2: And, you know get on with it yeah
0: catching um, fish guy
2: well okay this is where it, it's not that easy where we were planted you couldn't catch fish and no. and, and you know this is why it's it's hard because people go well this is obvious and this is obvious why <laughs> didn't you do that and and yeah where we were situated like we had fishing stuff it was just never going to happen mm-hmm. it just there was next to no fish there it was really fascinating and the ones that were were really tiny um, so yeah, we were starving enough that we would have if we could have, mm-hmm. but yeah, we weren't so lucky. So what
1: about like sneaking out and stealing food from the film crew? Like that's what I would have done.
2: Hundred? No, not at all. You've got your film crew who like sort of film you in the day, and then you've got a couple of cameras at night. But you, there's boundaries. Mm-hmm. So you can't go past these boundaries. So oh, you, I, I mean, to the point where I think they do you justice in the sense that you can't even smell the cruise food or anything oh, like I mean, that. Like, it really has bacon to be so separated. Baking cooking on the barbecue. Yeah, yeah
1: oh. absolutely. You can, you can see them sitting around drinking Merlot. Oh, that
2: would... Yeah, yeah. no, not on... Merlot? That would be nice.
1: <laughs> In Samoa? Yeah. It's <laughs> goofy. Yeah. What do you see them drinking? I don't
0: know. <laughs> Beer... <laughs>
2: Yeah, I don't around. think that would be a good idea after not eating for so long. I don't think alcohol would be a good no, choice no. for most people.
0: So, did, did you, f- like, specifically fatten yourself up with the knowledge that food would be scarce on the island?
2: No, because I found out two weeks before we headed out. Right. So, it's really that quick of a turnaround. And okay. for me, you know, I was fortunate enough to be living a lifestyle where that was easy. But for a lot of people, like, I mean, people have children, they have mm-hmm. full time jobs. And they're, they're having, some people are having to quit their jobs and, and organize things very quickly. So, no, I hadn't put on that much weight. And within the first week, I, I lost quite a lot. Hmm. Um, but the, kind of the humorous thing to it is towards the end of my experience, we ended up winning quite a lot of rewards. And when I got voted out, I was actually only um, two kilos lighter than so, when oh. I started. Yeah, and it was really funny. They made me do a like reveal, like you know, you do the reveal of like, oh, what do I look How like? How much weight you look? I looked the bloody same. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I've, I've got, actually got a question in in that line, but it's probably not worth asking now. From uh, actually from Lizzie Hamilton. So, did you eventually get skinny and malnourished enough on the show to wear your Survivor buff as a miniskirt? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: did. <laughs> did. Yeah, yeah I, I did try that. Um, Yes, I did do that. <laughs> we did, I did get pretty thin. Um, and I think a lot of people have different experiences out there. Like some people uh, drop a lot of weight. But I think the thing that I kind of find interesting and, uh, and something that the viewers don't obviously pay attention to or are not aware of is the after effects of an experience like that. Um, particularly when you're going into severe starvation mode. Like I was mm. out there for 43 days and, mm. you know, I did put on a bit of weight at the end. But a lot of that's got to do with the fact that your body's in starvation mode. So it's just holding on to absolutely everything that you have. Mm. And when you finish an experience like that, for some people it, it, it takes months if not over a year to sort of get your body back to normal again.
0: Kickstart the metabolism again. Absolutely.
2: Mm. Um, one of the people... Um, we, we have like jury village villa experience. And one of the people came out 11 kilos. No, what was it? He came out quite light, but he ended up putting 11 kilos on within 10 days. You're just like, storing everything. Absolutely. Mm. You just blow up. And I even found returning home. You just, you almost start binge eating. And I know that quite a few people post survivor have actually struggled with binge eating, becoming something that's actually been a severe problem. post Survivor. Yeah, right yeah
1: was there any um post show um you know feedback um, counseling
2: they do offer um a psychologist but i think most people just don't use stuff like that um and i think it's, it's a tricky one i know that Confidentially speaking, like I know quite a few people that have experienced uh, post-traumatic stress from survivor, <laughs> and it's something that's very unspoken about. And I think I'd like to touch on it one day. I was fortunate enough not to experience it, but it's it, you know it's. I was going to say it's a mind fuck, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm you like you can swear
0: that. on this show. Right, it's a
2: mind fuck. It Go. is, and Hold I on. think if you're struggling with sort of mental challenges before then, it's mm. not a great place to be and mm. post that. I mean, I know people are still struggling years post-survivor from their experience because it is so challenging out there. Mm. Like, psychologically, it is it is stressful. It is really stressful. Mm. You,
1: you were talking earlier about your own mental health issues. Mm-hmm. How did you manage your mental health during
2: the show? It's funny. You don't really realise where you are until you watch it back and from what i can see um i went very internal i went very internal i was quite isolated in my experience in survivor i sort of long story short got tribe swapped and basically people just didn't want to be my friend for the rest of my experience i know everyone (laughs) feel sorry for me no not at all it's it's a game and who cares Um, (laughs) you know, it was the right thing that everybody did, but, um, I didn't realize how much that affected me out there. And and looking back, I went, I went silent. I just went quiet. I went so internal. And I remember feeling when I got voted out a sense of relief. I remember feeling Mm. like that feels amazing to be voted out. And then you kind of get better and you eat and you sleep. And then you're like, Oh, why did I feel so good about being voted out? But in those moments, it really is, it's tough. It's tough for everyone, um, particularly because you can't trust people. And I think that's a huge thing. A lot of people come out from Survivor kind of questioning their intuition a little bit as well. You mm-hmm. kind of think you can gauge when people are lying to you or messing with mm-hmm. you. And then that game just kind of turns it all on its head. Um, yeah, so it's, there's a lot of layers to that experience.
0: So, look, as someone with a seemingly well-developed moral compass, how did all that scheming and backstabbing sit with you?
2: Oh, fine. What? I mean, I really, I think, I personally struggle with people that go into Survivor and they they, they bring their real-life values into there because it's not the place. It's a game. It's a game. Hmm. It's a game and you do not take anything personally. And it really surprises me when people do. Mm. And people take it out when they finish as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what I found fascinating about the Australian version particularly is because obviously Australian values are like honesty and loyalty and all these amazing things which I can respect in in, in the outside of this game. Um, but, yeah, going in, it's, I personally think it's not not the place for such thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you think the Aussies are less melodramatic than the Yanks on the show?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. well, I think, in my experience, the Australian <laughs> version probably wasn't as fun as I desired it to be. Mm-hmm. I felt like, particularly the first, my season, it was a bit slow. I think it sort of be, keeps amping up now that people are sort of getting a better idea of it. Yeah. Um, But I think, you know, it's been around for a long time in America, so I think people are more accustomed to it as well, the audience. From my experience being on the first season, there were a lot of new viewers to Survivor that just really didn't understand what Survivor was about. And I think this is actually really important to note, that, like, who people are on Survivor does not mean that the people... That behave like that on the outside and yeah, I yeah. think that's really hard for a lot of the audience to understand mm. and there's a lot of hate that goes on um, and I, I think only recently, particularly with reality television, they've started um, I think recently uh, there was actually someone that was uh, Ch- Channel 7 or something was sued for like psychological trauma or something Seriously? Yeah, because just the way that if you're sort of edited as a villain or something, yeah, like you yeah, get yeah. harassed on the outside. In yeah, real life, yeah. people will come up to you and tell you what a terrible person you are.
0: Well, it's misrepresentation, isn't it? You know, like
2: Particularly if you say it's a reality television show. Well, there needs yeah. to be more... like They need to do a better way of having people actually understand what these television shows are about, I yeah. think. Um, yeah, so it's...
0: There you go. I've got... Um, One more listener question on Survivor. I don't think we've had so many. So this is from Beck Gaff. And so as a female on an internationally televised TV show, what was the personal grooming situation like on the island?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that got pretty interesting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of it.
1: (laughs) Good. Perfect.
2: Um, But I think that was a really nice experience for me that I laugh about now. When you put on national and international television – really like no makeup just like completely raw you being you it's it's kind of great to have that experience because then you're sort of less caring about things moving forward you're like well why should I care so much when like people have seen me at my worst but what's fascinating about it is that my skin and hair has probably been the best it's been in years when I was out there which is really fascinating. Without
1: any product, with, with
2: just without no products, with clean eating and just I guess detoxing. Yeah. Um, swimming in the beach. Yeah, swimming in the beach.
0: Salt water, can't Salt lose. Salt
2: water and being in the sun, you know, sleeping in the sand. <laughs> yeah, it's probably good for us to do once in a Well, well
0: exfoliated.
2: Absolutely. Well
0: done. <laughs> can I ask you one more question? You can us? ask as many as you like, with my friend. Thanks. So as someone who gets pretty hangry and um, yeah in a bit of trouble if I don't eat enough, how, how difficult did the lack of food make the physical challenges that you were supposed to do? Did you notice the difference?
2: Yes, you do. Yeah. I even remember on the second day, like literally the second day, I did a challenge and I, I felt like I was going to pass out. I only, Like my body was just freaking out. Like I'm someone that eats very regularly and mm. if I don't, I feel it. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I think this is going to be the end of me. I'm not going to be able to continue if every time I do a challenge, I feel like I'm going to vomit and pass out. Your body does adapt, uh, but you definitely – everything becomes very slow and you exhaust very easily and you sleep a lot. Um, I mean, post-challenges, you're going to sleep sort of as the sun's going down, you wake up as the sun's coming up, so you get long, decent sleeps. Uh, but, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend – uh, doing it outside of Survivor, definitely. Nutrition is very it seems vital. seems like an
0: ultra marathon though,
1: doesn't it? Like yeah. It's the same. Good, yeah. yeah Good training. Pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. Um, you, do you have a particular diet that you follow? now? Yeah.
2: No. Okay. I don't. Just
0: it. two bananas a day.
2: Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. That seems to work to brutal. the perfect. Great <laughs> <and> skin. <laughs> your yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> their
1: no, no product.
2: Yeah, I'll <laughs> trademark that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. Um... And I don't, I don't like using the word too much either. I think which one diet. uh. Oh, oh. yes. Good. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, do you mean sort of like a vegan vegetarian diet? Yeah,
1: it's, it comes up every podcast we, right. we say about it.
2: Yeah. No, I don't. I have been vegan before. I have been vegetarian before. Um, I eat everything at the moment. Um, yes. But yeah, I think
1: you're changing. You're changing.
2: <laughs> He says
1: yes,
3: but he's slowly
2: it's coming out. I, I think over it's the each life their life. own. And I think from my experience, I feel like people are fueled rightly by different things. And I, I, me personally, I, I don't think there's one diet for everybody. Mm. And I think that you got to listen to your body and find out what works for you. I know being vegan and vegetarian, I didn't feel like I had as much energy as when I eat meat. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have less gut issues when I eat meat as well. But then I can speak to other people that are on a vegan diet, and they feel much more amazing than when they're eating meat. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and be sort of I try and buy things um, as sort of ethical as possible in eating meat. I am conscious of that because uh, I I do get mixed emotions and associations with eating meat. But personally, I feel like um, I perform better. Um,
1: as long as you're at the top of the food chain.
2: Yes. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: good to be the king. <laughs> um, Jonathan Lapalia, is he as hot in real life as he is on the screen?
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's adorable. Do you want to think about that? <laughs> I think most people have a crush on him.
0: <laughs> Guys want to be him.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> just want some of those blisters? Yes. You
2: I know. They're very
0: shiny. They get shinier every year. <laughs> so look, we're, we're a running-based podcast. We haven't talked about running for half an hour. Should we talk about running?
1: Yeah, we do. So in May this year, you set about a um, to do the Outback Australia event called The Track. Yes. So a self-supported ultra marathon where you carry your gear and nutrition, mm-hmm. which is approximately 10 kilos. Yes. Uh it's five hundred and twenty two yes. kilometers. Um, and that seems like uh, something that you should build into. Seems <laughs> seems excessive, you know, like not not some people sort of if they've done you know training they do marathons and they might do ultra marathons and then they might do (laughs) multi-stage events yes it sounds like this is something you just entered and jumped right into yeah tell (laughs) tell us tell us about
0: that seriously no
1: build-up what's
0: going on no
2: um i'd sort of been talking with someone that had done it before and long story short i uh last year i'd sort of I'd been living in Tunisia in North Africa and then Turkey for nine months in Istanbul. And when I got back, I found I actually had adrenal fatigue that I'd been battling for quite a while unaware because I'd sort of been living in these countries where sort of the hospital systems weren't in place, I guess, to let me know what was going on.
1: Fatigue?
2: Adrenal fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. So when I got back, I kind of... It was a quite an isolating experience living in Turkey. So when I got back, I got kind of, I was unwell, and I was kind of used to hanging on my own. So I actually spent a couple of months just, just sort of healing, I guess, sort of trying to find my way. Particularly being back in Sydney, things are quick paced and everything's happening really fast and everything.
0: Good for your adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. Well, Perfect.
2: well I, I didn't do much. <laughs> Good. Good. I, I was actually down in Scarborough for a while, um, which is south of Sydney. And for you, people that don't know, it's just a very quiet, beautiful place along the coast. Mm. Uh, so it was amazing. But then sort of as I started getting better and better, I started being like, well, I, I, I need a goal because I'm, I'm feeling like I'm lacking perf- purpose. And I feel like I sort of... I do my best when I have a goal, particularly a physical goal. I've always ran short distances purely just for that sort of mental outlet, I guess. It's, I've always felt like running's kept me really balanced, even if it's a couple of Ks. And so I'd got in contact with a guy that'd done this uh, before and sort of said, you know, I feel like I'd like to do a longer style run. Uh, is there any coming up that you know of? And he said, oh, I'm doing this one. But, you know, you obviously wouldn't do okay. that one. <laughs> style <run>. This is run. <laughs> this,
1: this is what I would not recommend you yes, to do. Yes,
2: well, he precisely said that. Yeah. Um, but it caught my eye and it got me intrigued. And uh, I looked into it and I thought, you know what, this is, this is big. And it, it's probably not something that I'm going to finish. But I think... At that time in my life it was really it was perfect for me to train for. And that was enough for me. Like I'd already accepted that I might not make it. And and I wanted to test my limits because I find myself very mentally strong. So I was like, I really want to go there. I want to go to a place that I've never gone before. And I knew that this was gonna be exactly the, the event for it. Wasn't that
1: long ago? We're, we're talking no,
2: only six months ago. Ultra marathon running, yeah, yeah, uh, makes mm. you grow very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I think I ended up signing up in sort of January, maybe, or early February, and the event was in May, and so I didn't have a whole lot of training behind me and sort of just started building up gradually. And I think my longest run before heading out there was. 35 or 40 k's. wasn't very far. And, yeah, basically went off on my way out there um, with the goal of trying my best. I thought I need to make a goal that I can be in control of.
1: And it was in the desert as well.
2: Yeah. So it was um, out at Alice Springs. Yep. Um, and the finish was at Uluru. Uluru, yeah. And so basically it was a, yeah, 10-day um, self-sufficient run uh, for 522 kilometres. And basically, you know, I did a lot of research on my own, like YouTube's amazing for it and things like that. And but ultra marathon running, in my experience anyway, it's there is so much to learn. And I think for years and years I'll be learning probably for the rest of my life as as long as I ultra marathon run. Um, so, so I was fairly prepared, but, you know, I hadn't even looked at sort of what the terrain was, if we we're going, you know, how high we're going, how low we're going. Like I literally <laughs> just went out there.
1: That stuff's important.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you figure is, is that out.
1: Like, what what <laughs> well, are we I talked
0: people, to a few people and they've said, look, it's best not to know. Yeah. I think people work
2: differently. I think people work, some people need a clear plan. Some people need to study what's going on. Some people go, you know what? Yeah. I'll just take it as it comes. Yeah. And yeah, so I headed out there and for the first two di- two days was uh, a lot of a lot of sort of rock hopping, boulder hopping. Um, mm. Yeah, it was, I think, sort of 1,000 metres up or so ascent. And it was amazing. I just was thriving on it. I just loved it. And, and on the second day, actually, out of nowhere, I actually ended up coming first in the women. I thought, hey, like, you know, there's something in this. Um, but because of my lack of experience, and I mean this is probably going to sound very naive in hindsight, but my feet just had not done the kilometers for him and they just got ripped apart. And so by the third day, I just had blisters literally everywhere on my feet like i have photos of it and it's just disgusting it's probably one of the more worst feet i've ever seen Mm
1: -hmm. can you share one of those photos yes i
2: can perfect for all you people that would like yeah i know there's something that was (laughs) powerful right that people love to see other people's feet really bad not
1: for my private collection (laughs) (laughs) we'll share it with the listeners
2: (laughs) yeah it was it was it was pretty rough um and on the third day um yeah, I just... I started obviously slowing down because, yeah, the feet were sore. And I think it was the fourth day I ended up waking up and my IT band had gone. And basically it was just stiff and I couldn't... I could hardly bend it. Mm. And I thought, okay, so this has changed. I'm a lot slower. Like I literally was like more closer to the back, which I was fine with. But I was like, okay, now I'm unsure whether I'm actually going to be able to make it the full way. And I ended up getting through a few of the days and then uh, yeah, there was just a point where I was like, I want to give up and it was just, the pain was excruciating, I'd never been in so much pain in my life with this IT band the blisters I could deal with, the blisters you run for a couple of hours and they go numb it's just those couple of hours you're kind of warming up and then it's just sort of, it's fine but the IT band, I just uh, yeah, I just I, I met my pain threshold and I sort of went into it saying to myself if I want to quit, like go another hour or so and then, and then review it. And if you kind of feel like you really want to quit, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll think about it and, and really decide. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I was going to this event, not having any regrets. And so, yeah, I got to the point where I was like, I can't, it was so hot and I just, yeah, I'm just stumbling along really slowly. And I just thought, I kind of learned my lesson, I guess that I think for ultra marathon running, for me, I get so much growth out of the suffering part of it. And, but at that point I thought I'm not growing anymore. I'm literally just shrinking. well, I'm just, I'm not getting anything out of it. And so, yeah, I just kept hobbling along and then just thought, this is just me being like trying to be a hero Mm -hmm. and who cares at the end of the day. Yeah. So, fortunately, in this event, if you decide to not finish one of the days, they actually let you restart the next day. So, I restarted the next day in the hopes that maybe the next day was going to be a better day. Mm. And I think I got seven kilometers and had to be picked up. And then had a day off. And then... um,
0: Well, the race was going still, though.
2: Still going. Everyone's running. And I think that was the amazing thing that I'm really grateful for is that on the day that I didn't, uh, I think it was the day that I didn't run, I got driven to the end. So I was able to see people finish Mm. and that was that was incredible for me to see people finish. Um, there was, there's just something in that, like from the people that are, you know, professional runners or up the front to the people up the back. um, yeah, it was very inspiring for me. Mm. And then on, so it was a 10-day thing, but nine stages. So the ninth stage, and it's crazy, it's 137 kilometers. The last day? The last day. So, yeah, it's it's a massive event. Like, yeah, it's a a massive event. So the last day is 137. I thought, you know what, this is the last day. I'm just going to see how far I can go. Like, I'm just going to, I've had a day off. I'm feeling a bit better. Uh, IT band was still hurting a lot, but not as much because I'd had a bit of rest. Um, and I ended up pushing out 102 before I called it quits. And obviously that was the furthest I'd been, because I'd only sort of been 40 kilometres or something before that. And, um, yeah, that was an amazing day for me to just sort of see, I guess, what I was capable of. And, and I was really grateful to have been in that vent to sort of see to have the opportunity to see that. And I think that was like one of the best things I got out of having this experience is that because it was so enormous, it was such a massive thing on a large scale. And even though I didn't finish, like, I think I ended up doing 350 or something kilometers. And I think 190 of that was injured or something. So it was, it was, yeah, it was a, a difficult experience, but you know, in a, a weird humorous way, it makes other multi-stage marathons that are generally around 250 kilometers seem not that far so it was a weird sort of mental thing to set myself up with and come out of that um but yeah I ended up pulling out at 102 on the the last night it was it was really late at night and I I was going so I think I was only going about two kilometers an hour or something I was just it was cold and dark and you know all of those sorts of things and but being able to see that now, and I, I guess a lot of people experience this in ultramarathon running, is that if you just push it a little bit more, you see that you're capable of a little bit more. And I think if I was to do, have that exact experience all over again, I'd push it a bit more. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of came out of that. Um, and I was really happy. Like, I was really, really happy with the experience. I met amazing people. I got the opportunity to genuinely try my best because I felt like, for years, I hadn't put myself in a situation where I could really be challenged, mm-hmm. like to the point where I could quit. I guess, I wanted I wanted to be in that situation. Uh, so I came back and obviously learned a lot of lessons, um, and then yeah, booked myself in to run 250 kilometres through Jordan, the Wadi Rum desert, in October.
1: So before we go to that. <clears throat> ranala supported you
2: yes ranala's been absolutely incredible love sean and jenny thank you very very much um yeah i just i contacted sean and just said you know i'm not i'm a novice i'm coming into ultra uh, marathon running with no experience um you know would you be inclined to support me in any way and yeah gone into the shop and they've been very generous with their support and yeah, really appreciate everything they've done. They're, they're very lovely people. They,
1: did you put you in a pair of hockers for that event? Of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. nice of course. For,
2: for, for everything I've done. <laughs>
1: well, well, this is a good segue, actually. We might go over to Sean for a shoe review on
3: a pair of brooks.
1: Hey, Sean, we're down at Cronulla. Thanks for having us at your store.
3: Thanks, mate. Welcome.
1: Mate, we're going to chat
3: about the brooks ghost Books Ghost 12, yes. How you've had a couple of runs in them recently? How's the feeling in the review been?
1: I'm a big fan. They're uh, they're nice and soft. As soon as I put them on, I knew we were going to get along, and uh, they're super comfortable, and they've got plenty of support. And uh, yeah, I'm a fan. I like them. They're a road shoe.
3: They are a road shoe. Yeah, they're uh, they're in the neutral category. Um, so for someone who has got a medium to high arch. Um, they do fit an orthotic well as well, so a lot of podiatrists recommend this shoe for the neutral runner, Uh, and as you said, it's a shoe that we have sold a lot of, I have fitted a lot of runners, and first fit and feel has been, wow, Um, as soon as you put your foot in it, it fits the foot nice and snug, uh, and nice and cushioned, as you said, it's got... The midsole foam is obviously DNA Loft, which is Brooks's midsole foam, which is really nice and soft, and then they've got a Biomogo DNA midsole through the forefoot, so it gives you that little bit of a spring, nice and soft through the heel, and then spring on toe-off. It's a 12mm drop, so it has got quite a high stack height, um, giving that that ankle and and calf support and 295 grams
1: it's light so it's, it's quite light yeah,
3: yeah um and really good for distances from your 10 right up to your marathon yeah. um we've found and it's probably for me it's it's brooks's number one neutral shoe in that category that we're selling and the feedback is nothing but positive, and I have not had one shoe come back to me um, with any faults or any customers that have disliked the shoe, so it's a real positive. Um, it's the new the new 12 is out now, it's the Ghost 12, and I think they've made a really good improvement from, from 11, um, and as I said, it's a bit lighter. It's got that now DNA loft through the heel, and um, the upper is... There's no stitching in the upper, so there's no irritation on the foot. It fits like a like a sock, moves with your foot as well, so it doesn't sort of, you know, hold it in place, so it's not going to aggravate it. And, yeah, it comes in a D-fitting, which is your normal fitting, comes in a 2E, and it comes in a 4E, so extra wide. So, you know, there's those... It, it can suit that a number of widths, um, as well as in the women's. So...
1: Mate, I'm, I'm super impressed, and, uh, yeah, I'd encourage anyone to, to give them a go. They're a great yeah. shoe. They're a really good shoe.
3: It's a, it, it is. a It's It's a fantastic shoe, and uh, it's, it's yeah, one of my favourite shoes to sell. It's an easy sell, uh, really. Um, so, yeah.
1: Very good. All right, so that's the, the Brooks. What else can we talk about? What about, I, um, I've been wearing the Garmin Instinct.
3: Garmin Instinct, which is a new it's recently new gps watch on the market um, from garmin a lot of watch brands i think they were hitting missing that market in between that you've either got like an activity tracker which is around the you know 150 to 200 it doesn't have gps and then you've you're jumping to you know your phoenix range which is you know 600 up to your phoenix 6 which is about 1200 which has all the features, all the bells and whistles. This, for me, is bang on value for money. Um, it's 399 retail. It's it's a GPS watch. Um, it's got basically it's got Glonass and Galileo satellite networks. So it's got two. So that means that it can track more in challenging areas. So the GPS won't drop out. Um, which is really good for that price, I think. And it also it monitors calories, it monitors your heart rate activity, your stress levels throughout the day, and then gives you all reports back at the end of the day. Um, it does obviously sync with a lot of apps as well, and there's a lot of sport apps on it as well. So, you know, you're running, you're swimming, you're board. You can mix and match those those modes to suit what you're doing, your activity level. And also it's got a built-in three-axis compass and Barometer, barometric altimeter, which I think is a really good. It helps keep your bearings on your GPS when you when you're doing your GPS, which it takes the guesswork out of your return journey. So basically, if you're out running and you've got to come back and you get lost, um, so if you, you are on your, running on your own, um, basically it's got a feature, the track back feature, that then will navigate you back to your starting point. Nice. which I think is really handy for that price. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of the watches you know you would expect that to have you know around the $700 up to a thousand dollars but for 399 it's light it's very robust as well um, the it's 100 meters water resistant as well which is great. A lot of people when they when you look at a watch with water resistant um, people think oh 100 meters is that can I go down depth 100 meters water resistant It's actually the pressure on the glass. Um, so when you do go, a little hint when you do go and you're asking for a watch, GPS watch and it's 30 metres water resistant, it's probably light shower or, you know, you can wear it in the shower lightly under. It's the pressure on the glass. 50 metres water resistant is probably pool and then you've got 100 metres would be cover all three plus the ocean. Yeah. So it's just, you, you're basically swimming in the ocean and a wave hits the glass, it's not going to leak. Where if you're in a 30-metre water-resistant watch and you wore it in the ocean and you hit the glass, you're probably going to get fogging or you're going to get leakage. So that's the difference between. A lot of people do think it's depth, where it's not. It's actually the resistance pressure on the glass. There you go. Which is really good, and it's got a scratch-resistant display. The display on the um, features are quite clear and large, so it's easy to read. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mate, I like it. And for me, the winning item is the lightweight because yeah. I, I don't like a, a you,
3: re- you, th- you very rarely think you got it on, yeah. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, coming up to Chrissy, we'll I'd see. say the Garmin Instinct is, for me, GPS watch value for money.
1: Yep, nice one. Um, and
3: coming up, save the date, Saturday 14th of December. 14th, exciting. 14th of December, our social run before Christmas. Yep. Yeah, meeting at the shop at 4, 4 p.m. Yep. Yeah, and then quick run. Yep. Back for some beers. Yep. Pizza.
1: Yep. Sydney Brewer, you're going to put on the beers. Yep. So Can't that's, wait. That's a good yeah.
3: one. Yeah. Can't wait. And then we'll have a lot of giveaways. Cool. Santa might make an appearance. Yeah. 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 Nice. What's Hattie up to? Pink, yeah, we might have to get him. Pink speedos.
1: <laughs> I saw a photo of you and your pink speedos recently. Was that me? That was you. Uh, yeah.
3: No. Yeah. Nice. No. That was good. That was uh, walk the walks. Uh, walk the wall. Sorry, down in Cronulla. You probably saw it. Yeah. Fantastic feature, which is good for. Good for Cronulla Moor. Gets yeah. people down. They can walk around, have a look.
1: Was yeah. good. Yeah. And that was a
3: dare from my wife, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she. Yeah, I won.
1: I'll post it. I'll <laughs> share it. I'll share it with the listeners. Yeah. Mate, thanks Thanks so much for your time. Uh, look forward to problem. catching up for a uh, beer, beer and pizza with you on the yeah. 14th. 14th. Yeah. Look forward to it. All right, mate. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Welcome back. Welcome back.
0: Thanks for the interview, uh, Sean and Matt. Yep. Shoes were good, mate. Oh, mate. Love the ghost. Spectacular! The yeah. Brooks Ghost. The Brooks Ghost. Get get onto it. What a winner! Yeah. Can I can I ask a couple more questions about this uh, the track before we move on to Jordan? Before we fly over to Jordan? Yes. So you, you said you you've always sort of run short distances and what yes. have you previously? Had had you done some racing previously? So, no. 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 Was...
2: I've never done. <clears throat> running racing no i've so never done half marathon never done marathon
0: so 520 k's first race yeah. off the bat that's phenomenal
2: <laughs> well um, some people would probably say it's stupid but well, i i don't brave. See it like that it's not stupid potentially i think i just wanted to get the experience and and it wasn't about finishing it was about trying my best and, and seeing what that was.
0: And he knocked out 102Ks after running 250-odd yeah. <laughs> le- days leading up. There's not too many people who can say that.
2: That's no. very impressive. Well, that's no. what was amazing about the event is that there were people from all walks of life there. And mm. no matter whether you were a very experienced runner or someone that had only done a few sort of ultramarathons, everyone was doing it tough. Mm. Like, it was a tough event. Not one person could say coming out of there that that was easy or that they'd really want to do it again
0: (laughs) and and so on that what were the conditions like
2: in terms of the weather or yeah
0: heat you know uh what were you running on sand the whole time i'm guessing the first two
2: days uh it was sort of along the Larrapinta trail um and there were yeah quite a lot of boulders it was quite rocky a lot of there and then for basically eight days it's flat what? it's a long time so if you don't enjoy flat running probably wouldn't recommend it um it's pretty tedious going that far uh it's a lot of sand um pretty hard sand not too much sort of you know digging hills and kind of thing but um it's very hot very hot i remember one day that i was walking um and really lovely people had given me their walking sticks when i was injured um I think it got up to sort of 44, 45 degrees. And honestly, I, I swear I started hallucinating. Like it was so hot and particularly walking in that. And that's what I'm sort of realizing with sort of doing the ultra marathons and the heat. You you got to do as much walking training as running training. Most people, get because around. once you get into that sort of heat, you're almost stopped mm. to walk. Mm. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, pretty incredible pressure on the body and being out in the heat for that long the direct sunlight is it's pretty brutal
0: absolutely and, and, and so being a you know an absolute novice to this game what was your knowledge of things like hydration nutrition gear because they, these are all lessons that you know you do learn over a period of time running mm-hmm. ultra marathons it, where, where did you get your knowledge for for, for that event
2: I did do a lot of YouTubing, hmm. um, definitely, and I got a lot of advice um, from one of my friends, Jamie Hilditch, um, He'd done the track before, and he was actually there for a second time, okay. and so he gave me a lot of sort of tips and do this and drink this eat this and quite a few of the people actually um, provided me so basically before you start the ultramarathon you have to hand over sort of a nutrition guideline to what you've got in your pack so right. it's like what you've got for each day how many calories Okay. and so quite a few people actually gave me theirs before the race so I was able to see what people were eating and drinking mm um which was amazing <laughs> So you're using theirs
1: as a guide
2: yes yeah. so using theirs as a guide so yeah. okay they're going to be eating this many calories per day it's this much weight this is what people sort of going for mm. this is the overlap of what people are eating so if people are eating like i found a lot of people eat cliff bars okay cool As a novice sure i'm going to start eating cliff bars mm. um and sort of basically that was my way of just processing it for that very quickly is just talking with people seeing what they recommend I didn't do a whole lot of testing which I definitely recommend for ultramarathon running but I was fortunate I didn't have too many problems um I did take a lot of expedition food sort of stuff like the the dried dehydrated meals uh most people I've heard from and, and definitely my experiences don't get the oats for breakfast because it just it's hard to stomach mm-hmm. eat something more dry um but yeah in my experience i mean with that sort of stuff i lost my appetite very quickly mm-hmm. and it, it, it becomes a mental game in itself just forcing yourself to get the calories in for sure. what, about, what
1: about gels goo goo gels
2: i didn't have the gels i had uh the chews Yep. i was mainly doing the chews i found them a lot easier to stomach and deal with Yep. There were a few people that did the gels, yep. um, but I just felt like it was easier to manage
1: Choose it, yeah. when you're like running. Lolly and it's like a lolly. Yeah. It's
2: easy to sort of, you can, you know, if you need, cut them in half and just swallow them with some water yeah, if you're yeah. feeling like you're not really wanting anything out there, particularly in the heat when your mouth can get a bit dry and everything. Because um, I think that's the thing, like once you get that tired and exhausted, like it really is about the small things out there that you've already pre-prepared.
0: Absolutely. I'm impressed with the amount of knowledge you've been able to take on and use in that very short amount of time. That's very impressive. Yeah. Um, Can I just ask what uh, conditions were like in camp overnight? I've never done a stage race and certainly not in the desert. Where where were you sleeping? What was going on?
2: So with this particular company, they're called Canal Adventure, um, they they put us in tents of two. And so, basically, I was teamed up with someone I already knew, which was great.
1: Jonathan LaPalia.
2: yeah. Was, <laughs> well. Dreams you made yeah, up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just put the campfire on it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. No wonder <laughs> you
0: push Let's that
2: survivor on
1: the
2: Um Yeah, we'll put in uh, Tensive two. In my experience with that company for this ultra marathon there wasn't a whole lot of social interaction or atmosphere i think a big part of it had to do with the fact that the event was so uh enormous and people are just tired Mm, you just get in and you know it was enough effort just taking off your shoes so i think that had to do with it but sort of and we'll get to john soon but in comparison to my most recent experience i think um yeah the company probably could have done better in terms of atmosphere and bringing people together. Cause I know that someone like me, you know, probably just as big as just the physical sort of challenge of this physical and mental challenge of this, I go for the human connection. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it is really, really important to have, particularly if you're doing, um, you know, a multi-stage race, people out there for different reasons, but I find most people are out there for that at some level Uh, And I felt like that was really hard to get in this experience. And I think I was fortunate enough to know the person that I was in the tent with. So that did help. But sort of take that away. And I think it would have been actually quite an isolating experience, which you're already doing it so tough in the day. I don't think you want that at night either.
0: You need some release, surely.
2: You do, definitely. I think it's really important. And I think, yeah, I'm very grateful for my more recent experience uh, with a company called Ultra X that... They valued that highly, mm. and um, it made a massive difference in, in, in the experience.
1: Should we move on to the Ultra X? From- Before we do that, we're dancing around the obvious here. You're a masochist. <laughs> 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 you, you should be doing more races.
0: Well, <laughs> she is. She'll yeah,
1: to in like yeah, yeah. three months. But mm. I haven't got the chance to ask you, like, what about locally, when I say locally, in, in Sydney in the Blue Mountains? Mm-hmm. You know about ultramarathons. Well,
2: I've heard Sydney? people that do the Blue Mountains are the masochists. <laughs> well,
1: not compared to what you're doing, but the six-foot track, have you heard about the six-foot track?
2: I have heard a little bit about yeah. it.
1: It's only 45 K. Right, but know, I happens. think that's... Great atmosphere at the end, though. Yeah. Is it? Uh, <laughs> you like to party at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you've got UTA in the Blue Mountains. Right. So that, that's hilly, and you can do hundred K. I yeah. have
2: thought about doing that. I think my thing is I really enjoy the multi stage. Yeah. Um when you know, when you said forty five kilometres is a long way, but I feel like uh you know, people are probably really quick in that and I think I'm not there in my experience yet. I don't have the speed yet. Right. I'm still building on that endurance. And I feel like I enjoy the multi-stage because in my head I know it's such a long distance and for me I think my strength is you know, I like to call it like pottering along. I just kind of keep putting one foot in front of the yeah. other and that's what I'm good at.
1: And um, suffering.
2: And su- I'm good at suffering. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> Whereas there, the shorter
2: distance, um, yeah, it's a lot more speed work. And yeah. I, no, you're I'm right. not as passionate about that yet. Maybe in my experiences I sort of see myself start to improve more.
1: You're right. You'd like this multi-stage event. It's called the Royal Double Ultra and it's in our backyard in the National Park. It's 50 mm-hmm. Ks on the Saturday and 50 Ks on the Sunday.
2: All
1: right. Signing Could you be up? <laughs> signing you up? Is that a yes?
2: Oh, God. That's a yes? That
1: was a yes? That's maybe.
2: What That's is a it? maybe. <laughs>
1: it's, it's, well, this year was the last week and in June. In j- June. Mm. I reckon you've got a rubber arm. I reckon we'll
0: get you yeah,
2: there. Yeah, I'm a pretty easy influence. I, I'll i never forget um, years ago when I guess I was starting to see that I liked the endurance events. I'd done a 24-hour military-inspired event when I was really fit. And about a year later, when I was not really fit, I got asked the night before to do it again because someone had pulled out and it was a free spot if I wanted it. And I find it really hard to say no to opportunities like this. And very quickly into this experience, about three hours in, I was vomiting, I was crying, I wanted to give up, and I was just not fit enough. Um... But it was sort of a great taste at how stubborn I am and how much I suppose I could potentially be a masochist. But I ended up making the 24 hours. Um, But I guess that's kind of filtered into this whole ultramarathon running and and committing to longer things is just the power of the mind and the more that you understand how the mind-body connection, uh, the more you understand about it, it, the more powerful it is. Um, in everyday life as well so yes
0: that's impressive <laughs> yeah i reckon can, can you quickly explain what a commando 24-hour event looks like because it just yes. sounds horrendous
2: it's pretty cool and again i think i loved it because of the human connection like you you form really strong bonds over just 24 hours um basically you sort of first of all you in this situation you'd find yourself on sort of like a gravelly concrete driveway doing burpees push-ups sit-ups all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. getting yelled at quite a lot (laughs) and then you'd sort of they might you know slow it down for a bit you might go for a, a k run around the block and then another k around the block and sort of throughout the 24 hours you uh you kept up all night um and so you do different sort of mental challenges you do navigation um, you do sort of holding, we might go to down to Cornella beach with a, a boat and some steel poles and stuff. And you sort of help each other carry things. Um, I found myself the the time that I wasn't quite fit enough, it was, it was probably around five 30 in the morning. We were dividing brown and white rice. So we had to put brown rice in a pile, white rice in a pile. <laughs> and I literally nodded off twice. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> and I was I'm like, surprised. wake up, wake up. Cause obviously, you know, you get in trouble if you found falling asleep. But, um, it's amazing because in, in that situation, when they were holding those, a lot of people that were wanting to go into the army would go there for mm. practice or whatever. And it's very interesting to see how quickly the people that go there with the biggest egos end up pulling out the quickest. Mm. And, amazing to see the the quiet achievers that just hold in there, just keep holding in there, and particularly with the support of other people um, some people that you'd never expect to get through something like that do uh, so it's, yeah, it's a great great place to kind of see people's characters
0: Don't go out too hard, I keep hearing this.
2: Don't, yes, yeah <laughs> yes, particularly with ultra marathons <laughs>
0: There you go, there you go, so so w- when was this run across Jordan? Is 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 it called Wadi Rum? Is that how it's pronounced? I
2: believe it is <laughs> Wadi <Waddy> Rum. rum. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: so captain would aspire to. Yeah, that's right. Sounds that delicious. <laughs> so two two hundred and fifty k's, five day stage race across the desert in Jordan. Yes. So you got got out of this uh, run along the track here to Uluru. Yes. How long did it take you to sign up for the next one?
2: Probably. Uh, a few months I knew that I wanted to do something Uh, I didn't know precisely what Um, but I came across this one a guy that I'd met in the track he'd done it before his cousin actually runs it and he told me about it and it sort of popped up in my mind I thought you know what I'm going to look into it that looks awesome I'll do it (laughs) Um, so really I probably trained for about two months before that um because post-track, I actually had ITB issues for quite some time. Um, a bit of a slow process I experienced in sort of getting that back to where I needed it to be. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't train too much. But I feel like with ultra-marathons, if you're not going in to be competitive up the front, training's important, but I didn't feel like I was losing anything through going there with not a whole lot of training behind me. Um because I do feel like the mental aspect of it is such a huge thing in ultra marathons. Um, yeah, so it was it was it was good. It was only three three to four weeks ago, so mm-hmm. it's still pretty fresh. I only started running this week again. Had about three weeks off. But, uh, yeah, it was an absolutely incredible experience and and very different to my first one.
0: And, and you were fully recovered by the time you started this one? Like the ITB stuff, back pain, all that sort of jazz was
2: gone? ITB stuff, definitely back pain, I thought, until I started running in Jordan. This one wasn't self-sufficient, so you just had to um, carry your mandatory kit like compass and watch and stuff like that. Um, and then you carry your food for the day and then you obviously have your water bottles. You had to have at least a liter and a half of water on you. Um, so it wasn't as heavy, but, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's, it triggered whatever happened. I, I hurt my back in the track. Uh, I fell over on the second day, and obviously 10 kilos on your back and you fall over it, it hurts. Mm. And it, it twinged something, and it was just absolutely excruciating for the rest of the time um, between that and the ITB. But this time, yeah, it came back again. But the amazing thing about Ultra X is they actually have osteopaths at every checkpoint. So if if you've got a niggle, mm. you, can, you can get that niggle fixed, yep. um, which was – very obviously very different to my first experience my first experience they were very i felt like quite masochist they were kind of like
0: look after yourself
2: live or die out here it's up to you (laughs) (laughs) um whereas this one it was a lot more about let's try and do this properly um you know it's we're not here to injure ourselves or Mm. you know anything like that we want people to finish and um Particularly on the first day, something happened with my hamstring. Never had it happen before. The first day it decided to happen. I ended up walking the last twenty kilometers, soaking to myself because obviously this was my second experience, and I thought, you know what, I've done it again like i've I've injured myself again. I'm gonna have to quit. It's the first day here, and I had an osteopath look at it that night and in the morning, and it just disappeared, and I was injury free for the next four days. Magic, which was incredible, That's awesome. very valuable, and I think particularly for people that are just getting into ultramarathon running and obviously are more susceptible to injury
3: because mm. your
2: body's just not used to it. Um, I think an experience like that is, is crucial
1: because mm.
2: uh, it could be the difference between you finishing an event or not. And it's terribly disappointing if you're pulling out because of injury and, and not you know, because of anything else. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. So Especially in another country.
2: Particularly when you've invested so much into going there. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah, I think... Particularly if it's not your mental game, like I think it's really important for people to learn lessons if they go there and they quit just because they can't deal with it in their head. Mm. Cool, go back, learn, try again. But if it's because of something physical where literally you can't go on, I think it's, it's very disappointing disappointing for people.
0: Yeah. And I guess it's still a learning process of preparation though, in that sense of getting the strength and the resilience right for the next
2: time. Yeah, so. definitely. I think absolutely. I think um yeah, it's hard because I think there's a lot of people that talk about what's good for you and it's a lot of different opinions and advice. Mm. And that bit I found someone coming to ultra marathon running has been difficult. More the health side aspect of things and the mm. training aspect of things. Uh, Quite a few people recommend different things. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, it's a bit of trial and error. Uh, But, yeah, I definitely think, yeah, obviously going into it as best as you think sea fit is very important.
0: Absolutely. Now, now tell me, what do they call this place, the Valley of the Moon? What was the terrain like in there?
2: Yeah, apparently it's where the movie The Martian was filmed. Okay. Uh, Apparently people refer to it as Mars on Earth. Uh, it definitely looked like that. It it was amazing. It was just incredible to, to see and be around. Uh, granted you don't do a lot of sightseeing when you're sort of in the black hole of (laughs) ultramarathon most days. Um, personally, I tried to sort of, you know, take moments, even if it was just for a minute each day to stop, look around, appreciate like you're in Jordan, like reflect on what you're doing. This is incredible. Uh, so I, I did. I did do that because otherwise, uh, particularly for people that are new to ultra marathon running and find it quite difficult, you can be staring at your feet a lot, yeah. <laughs> you know, trying to tell yourself that you made the right decision being there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the landscape was absolutely incredible.
1: Mm, fantastic. So you got you got through the event.
2: Got through the event, um, and I think that was one of the biggest things for me was. I was, my fear going in was that I wasn't going to finish and I was, I just really wanted to finish. And so I, I definitely probably took it a lot easier than what I would next time, probably for the first three days.
0: Just to make sure.
2: Just to make sure I got there, mm. <laughs> which I think what, there was nothing wrong in that. No. Um, because yeah, the, 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 the multi-stage ultra marathon, it, it really is about that endurance because there was actually quite a high dropout rate. I think almost 30 people dropped out and there was only 70 something of us. Um, and that's what you, I think no one dropped out after the third day, which is quite fascinating. Mm. So uh, yeah, definitely a big lesson is don't go too hard at the start. It's a long, it's a long event. Um, that's
0: a good call 44 hours I looked up your results was
2: it? yeah, yeah. It was, I, I didn't even look at my results that's,
1: that's a
0: long <laughs> the I Wednesday was the time.
2: Seven, it was in a the long time long time in the
1: desert
2: it's a long time in the desert um, on the Wednesday the 70 kilometer day I think I ended up teaming up basically I ran on my own for I think 30 k's or something 40 k's, and I was like you know what this is such a long day I would prefer to team up with someone, like, wait a bit and team up than do this on my own for the next 30Ks or something. So I ended up waiting for a girl, Australian girl from Melbourne, and we ended up doing the last 30Ks together. And I just, like, said to her, let's have fun with this. Like, we're obviously not competing. Let's just, like, really enjoy this, like, for what it is. And it was incredible. We went off track and we found this, like, sort of, place where camels go to drink and the photos and reflection look absolutely terrible but when you've been out in the desert for so long and you're so hot and so thirsty um yeah it was worth going off track to sort of like put water on us and then we sat kind of behind the cement thing and ate some food and got some shade and we saw sort of like roaming camels and just really stopped to to enjoy the experience and it was awesome um but what was fascinating was it it genuinely took us from like from dark to dark to finish. Like we finished in the dark, started in the dark. And I thought, you know what, I'm I'm wrecked. Like it was a huge day and I hadn't done enough walking training. Everything was just, my ankles were just killing me. Um, in reflection, I probably should have just jogged rather than walked it. Um, probably would have hurt less. But I thought, you know, oh, I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. Like that just really, really ruined me. And the next day I ran and I think... I came like 25 places in front of what I normally came mm. and it was fascinating because I felt like something sort of similar happened in the track on the last day when I did the 102 because for the first uh, 50 or 60 or something, uh, the group that I was put with, I was coming first for that whole time and it's made me really want to see next time what happens because I feel like something happens in the brain. And I've read a little bit about this. Is like the comparison kind of thing. So mm. it was like I did the long day and then so the next day, 40 kilometers didn't seem much and I just had all this energy. I felt amazing. Mm. Like I just felt like I could have gone forever. Um, and it was similar to the track. It's the last day and it's like your body just goes, use all your resources, well, enjoy it. No, can
0: get home. Right. Those are going to be safe. It's, it's fascinating. fascinating.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So it's very fascinating. I'm, I'm interested in sort of utilizing that in my experiences to see, like, how can I best do that every day that I run? How do you play with your mind to be able to do that?
0: You've done all this distance. Distance should never be a worry to you again, you know. Your brain knows what to do. Well, I
2: went for a 10-kilometer run today, and it was was a bit dusty, so I don't know about that. You're
0: just making it harder for yourself. (laughs) There you go. You are a masochist. You are a masochist. (laughs) So I've got a a theory in a 100K race that – 30 K's in your body doesn't hurt anymore for the rest of the race like it's sort of you get to that physical pain at about 30k then it just kind of stays the same until the end the mental stuff gets harder and harder and harder but i reckon physically you don't get too much worse from 30k on so was there any point during that five days 44 hours of running that you felt that point did you feel like i've got to this stage it's not getting any worse no <laughs> <laughs> it just kept getting worse <laughs>
2: besides the fourth day the fourth day I just I felt light hmm. I felt so light and and to the point where I didn't realize I was doing so well and I finished and I had a smile on my face and I could have done it again and it was my best day and I, I it was my best day yet I finished with more energy than any other day it Phenomenal. just it just didn't make sense to me and that's yeah that's the fun part of, of the journey um but I think from what I've read and from what I can see, so much of this long distance running and and making it easier for yourself is just the experience. Because your mind's so against you and it goes into the unknown. And if if you've only done ten kilometers and you're about to do forty, of course it's gonna be hard. Because your mind's like your mind's like your animal brain part of your mind which is very dominant is is there to make you survive Mm. so if they know that you've survived at 10 k's but not 40 of course it's going to tell you not to go there freak out absolutely but then when you do 40 and in my experience as a beginner when i do 40 and
0: don't die
2: and don't die then i'm like got a 40k race okay great let's go i can do that Mm. but if it was then 50 i'm like oh i've never done that before that sounds really hard
0: it's amazing how those numbers start to become meaningless like you well if you go out for a 30k 40k 50k right. training run and not think too much of it like whereas previously you'd be awake for three days before that race going oh, holy shit mm-hmm. i've got a 50k race coming up yeah
1: yeah,
0: yeah. And you eat those for breakfast yeah
2: yeah i feel like in every day you sort of start <laughs> to lose perspective don't you like right. with with like people that don't ultra run, yeah. it just sounds ridiculous. You know, I, just I to
0: don't even drive that far. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, yeah, if you only go, you know, I say I only went for a ten k today. Like, That's what? Right. I used to only run like three or four kilometers. So. Exactly.
0: You count a bunch
1: of weirdos.
2: <laughs> you do. You do. You just group together and
1: <laughs> like-minded fools. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: So, us fools sitting around the table. What's next?
2: I'm still trying to decide. Uh, I did really thoroughly enjoy my experience with Ultra X. Um, and they have an upcoming one in Sri Lanka in March. There's 250 kilometers over five days. And uh, by the looks of it, it looks extremely humid. Uh, but it's flat. It's flat. So I thought I'm thinking of doing it just because I think it'd be a great opportunity to start doing more speed work because it is flat um, and that's sort of taking my interest because I, I did no interval training up for Jordan, which most people say I should. <laughs> so starting to sort of do that. but I think I think that's next. They also have one in Mexico later in the year that looks it's sort of very mountainous uh, that looks quite good and I really enjoyed sort of um, the mountains in the track in the first couple of days. I really, I, I did. I was a canyoning guide for a while when I was younger, and I feel like I'm, I'm very confident in foot placement with sort of loose rocks and stuff like that. And I'm not too afraid of downhill, um, which I've seen as quite a strength in stuff like that. So, haven't made anything, any decision yet. But I think if I if I continue on this ultramarathon journey, which is what I see at the moment. Um, I like to do bigger and better. (laughs) Um, So I feel like I'm growing. So, but I think I just need to sort of just get a few more sort of runs under my belt before I see if there's something that I feel is more challenging. So sort of like the track, I guess, but something that will be challenging with more experience.
0: There you go. That's some lofty, lofty goals. Yeah. More challenging than a 522k race.
2: Mm. Well, I think... Well, people have asked, will I try it again? Because I didn't finish. I don't know. I'll see how I go. I just feel like eight days on a flat seems a bit boring to me and a bit tedious. <laughs> I'm not sure if I need to go through that. Um, but as you guys are aware, there's so many uh, opportunities all around the world for different things. Mm-hmm. Um that I'll sort of see what pops up.
0: Do you think you'll move away from sand? You seem to have a little bit of of a thing about sand sand. and pain.
2: Yeah, I have thought about it. Um, I just really enjoyed it. I think, I don't know, it was just challenging. And I really wanted to go to Jordan. I mean, it was a great opportunity to go to the Middle East. so Mm. That was was definitely part of the decision. Um, I hate the cold. So I... I guess that would be a huge challenge for me but I don't sort of see myself doing any running in the cold anytime soon so yeah we'll we'll see what happens I'm trying to take it one event at a time but as you sort of I've found like get more into the community you hear of more different sort of runs that people have done that they speak highly about or don't recommend so yeah if there's there's anything you guys recommend? I actually heard there's a narrow bean all nighter or something in January. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys done that
1: before? I, I haven't done it. Friend my of the friend, show. Yeah, he's done half of it.
2: So yeah, I thought that <laughs> could be a half of it—six <laughs> yeah. hours—and went home. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> yeah.
0: what happened. Talk to big game though, Matt Shearer, uh, yeah. friend oh, of the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah there's plenty of races. There's a race every weekend if you wanted to do it. It's amazing. Yeah, sports going like crazy. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. but I think. I mean, it's a lot of pressure on the body, as you guys know, and I think you do have to be fairly mindful of things that you're choosing as well. Um, I think, anyway. Yeah, I don't know if it's, it's too good, be good for you yourself. doing it a lot.
0: No, yeah, it's you, definitely not.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and, and you don't want to do a really long race too early, so you would never pick a 522k <laughs> race as your first one. So, well, you know, I could have been a retired
2: ultra marathon runner <laughs> by the end of that event. <laughs> 350k's, I'm done. That it's was a
0: good perfect. experience. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, um, have you got much more than. So, uh, I've read that you are getting into some life or results coaching. Yes. Is that correct? And so I, I guess my read on a successful life is being happy. And so what, what does happiness mean to you, Jenna?
2: Big question. <laughs> I think happiness for me through my experience that I've seen is it has to come from within. So I think it, you have to not be affected by external circumstances. I think that's the biggest thing. Because I, I feel like my interpretation of suffering is allowing external things to affect you and particularly in relation to problems, feeling like they're permanent. And I think a lot of people are experiencing this. They're just feeling helpless a lot, a, a lot of the times. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, happiness is just being in control of your emotions no matter what happens. Um and to help with that, I guess, being grateful um, regularly, being mindful uh, in situations that aren't challenging. Ask yourself, like, what can I learn from this? What's great about this? Like, have powerful questions. Because basically, like, thinking is just a bunch of questions and answers. That's all it is. And people are so unconscious in their thinking and they, they have these, like, Habitual patterns of thinking that are so disempowering and really hurtful—they don't even notice that they've created that themselves. Mm. A lot of them have it from childhood, and so I think for happiness is to take control of those emotions because you really are in control of your emotions. I yeah. feel like people actually don't realise that.
0: You can tell a little guy on your shoulder what to, you know, what to do.
2: Absolutely, and recognise that the animal part of your brain is is not there to make you happy or fulfilled. It's there to help you survive. Mm. And when you recognize that, it will always be there nagging at you, but be mindful that the more human part of your brain is actually the part that controls your behavior. So you'll always have the animal brain t- telling you things to be afraid of because it's trying to make you survive. But it, it actually has no control over your actions.
0: Mm-hmm. And he's not always right.
2: And he's not. He's, he's hardly ever right. That's and that's right. why people, most people have anxiety and depression these days. Mm-hmm. Because no one's told us this. I mean, we get so much education and schooling that's just absolutely useless. And these are just such important, simple things that we should be taught to be able to understand who we are and, and how to control our everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, since realizing that, I, I can definitely say, like, I feel like I'm happy all the time. I really do. And I feel like most, you know, people probably roll their eyes at that, but... I, I feel like I've set myself up to be happy all the time. And, of course, there's moments where I'll look into my fears and I'll feel negative emotions, but I've tried putting systems in place now that, like, hey, for the next 60 seconds, feel whatever you want to feel. If you want to feel frustrated, angry, jealous, any of those emotions, feel it, you've got 60 seconds. And I think too many people these days are focusing on the problem and not the solution. Mm. And I think I read something recently which was amazing. It's just like there's no such thing as a problem when you have found the solution. But people just linger on these thoughts and, and don't actually write down what is the problem
3: mm.
2: and create a solution. Spend 10% on the problem, 90% on the solution. I can guarantee it's a, it's a sure path to happiness.
0: I'm already happy thinking <laughs> about it. Can I just finish off with a quote that I really did like on your uh, whatever I was researching? (laughs) So sometimes in life you need to lead yourself into the unknown. I reckon that's a cracker Mm -hmm. and I reckon you've certainly done that. I'm really impressed with your, I hate the word journey, but I'll I'll use it this time with your little (laughs) journey. So yeah, congratulations on the last Bunch of years, Jenna. It's impressive. Oh, thank
2: you. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. I appreciate yeah,
1: it. I'm impressed with your massacres, bad. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah>. Respect. <laughs> so, if people want to look you up and follow you and get in touch. Yes. Where do where, where they find you?
2: Uh, easiest would probably be either Instagram, which is Jenna, J-E-N-N-A-H underscore Louise, L-O-U-I-S-E, or uh, website, which is just Jenna Louise, J-E-N-N-A-H-L-O-U-I-S-E dot com. Perfect. Love to hear from you guys. Simple. All right.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thank and you. And I know uh, the listeners get a great a lot out of this. Absolutely. It's been awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks.
3: See you later. See you later. Bye. <laughs>